Welcome to the Coached Success Podcast, the number one show on mindset, aimed at exploring what it really takes to turn your adversities into your advantage and help you maximize your potential. Each week I speak to a special guest to find out what it really takes to win at life. On today's episode, I continue my conversation with Sean Cobra. During this episode, he shares some intimate details about his time in the military as a sniper. He also tells us how he had to maintain his composure and remain calm during the heat of battle. In addition, Sean speaks about mental health and practices that's helped him after returning from war. Stay tuned, this is an episode not to be missed. Do you want to tell us a bit about what was some of the hardest um, challenges that you had to face while being in the military? Um, yeah, man, there's, where do I start? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess I'll start from the start, like going from uh, civilian street to recruit training, um, you know, I'd already been out of um, uh, home for a, a number of years. Uh, so the, the initial recruit training wasn't that difficult. Like it was very regimented. It was very strict. Um, they were like all over us with regards to timings and um, attention to detail and presentation and, um, you know, professionalism and um, everything. So that wasn't too difficult. Once we uh, finished recruit training and went to initial employment training, uh, things started ramping up. That's where we, you know, were training to become infantry soldiers. Um, and, you know, we had some very challenging times there, but that allowed the, the instructors to weed out the guys that weren't going to make it, that were going to be potentially a liability on the battlefield. So, um, and from there, man, like it just continued ramping, continued ramping, continued ramping. And I understand why they were so hard on us because within towards the end of our uh, initial employment training, this was towards the end of 2006. Uh, and I joined in March that year. So this was probably like October, November, December. Uh, we knew that we were deploying to Iraq uh, within about six to seven months of marching out and, and like walking into the unit. So um, yeah, they were pretty hard on us. And uh, the guys that were instructing us had already been to Iraq. They'd, you know, they'd been there on the ground. So um, it was awesome to have them uh, leading from the front and kind of managing our expectations in what we're walking into. Um, from there, I actually became a sniper. Um, I was nominated by my, my junior leadership um, for my soldier skills to participate in the snipers course, which uh, occurred over about two months. Uh, and man, this was probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. Like the course was just set up for us to fail. Okay. Um, you know, nobody was winning anything. Everyone was losing everything. And again, that was that adversity where, you know, I think they, they literally made it so difficult to challenge us, to test us, not only to see how we perform, but to see how we react when we're not winning anything, when we're failing absolutely everything. And, you know, see what our mindset was like, whether we were able to, um, you know, build our resilience and come back and um, know that the chips were um, stacked against us, but 
knowing that no matter what happened, man, we we're going to come back out and we we're going to give our best every fucking time. So um, that then led into going to Afghanistan uh, and, and, you know, deploying there in a four man sniper team. Um, and, you know, we went to a pretty dodgy area, man. So uh, I was in a four man sniper team and two of the boys over the course of a nine month deployment were shot and I patched them both up. We're in firefights um, was almost killed three times in two days um, uh, within two weeks of, of arriving to Afghanistan. Um, yeah. There was a number of circumstances that, you know, really fucking tested us. Um, and, you know, some, some very difficult things that we face being in firefights and patching our mates up and, um, you know, having, having guys killed and injured all around us and, um, particularly guys that were in part in your team, man, that you, you go out with and, you know, you're having a, having breakfast with them, you're having a conversation with them and, you know, laughing and joking. And then by the end of the day, like your mates on a helicopter, you know, he's been shot. You don't know if he's going to live or die and you've got to fucking step out on patrol the next day again, not knowing what's happening with him, where he is, what's, what's going on, um, whether he's going to survive or not. Yeah. I can imagine how traumatic that must be. Um, and obviously it makes you reevaluate life and even the career move, like maybe in training, yes, it's difficult, but now it's real life. There's real stakes um, involved right now. And tell me, first of all, what, what is your relationship with death? Or how, did it, how did this actually help you reevaluate life in that particular moment? <laughs> um, great question. Um, first of all, like I'd written and revised my will three times by the time I was 25. So, you know, how many other people do you know have ever done that? Mm -hmm. You know, so it makes you very aware of your mortality and a couple of months before we went to Afghanistan, actually, we we're doing, um, we we're conducting like a like live drills. Um, it was a first aid, um, not a course, but like a uh, like a role playing um, exercise. Uh, and we had like guys that had actually been in Afghanistan, had amputations and traumatic injuries and things like that that came in, and you know we were cutting up pigs and um, you know treating treating them as um casualties uh inserting like tubes into the airways and you know all this crazy shit man it was it was it was actually really fucking good training um but whilst we we're doing that uh two boys in afghanistan two of the um combat engineers were actually killed along with their um explosive detection dog and uh the entire um battle group that was conducting that exercise came together and you know, this was a couple of months before we were due to go over and, you know, that's when it kind of sunk in that, Hey, like this, this is not a fucking game. We're going overseas. We knew my sniper team and I knew that we were going to a bad area. We knew that, you know, dudes were there to fight uh, and they were experienced fighters. Um, and we had a conversation with each other that day and we're like, you know, if, if our job is to look after each other, you know, no matter what the cost is, mm -hmm. Um, you know, we want to bring everyone home. Um, we need to do whatever's necessary to make that happen. Um, and you know, that meant that once we had that conversation, man, I think, I think that put us in a good mindset to, you know, make it real because a lot of guys didn't make it real. And it was just kind of like, Oh, we're going through this train. We're going to be in Afghanistan. I'll deal with that in a couple of months time. And they never really prepared their minds for the potential, um, you know, negatives that could come out of the, any situation. So we 
had that conversation with my team and that made us work our asses off in training knowing that we're going to a bad area knowing that we're going to be in firefights we're going to be pulling the trigger you know we're going to be potentially patching our mates up putting them on a fucking helicopter and sending them home never seeing them again um so it picked up the intensity and the intent of what we're doing in regards to our training and you know unfortunately i saw other guys just going through the motions man and i was grateful that i was part of that sniper team and these were some of the best soldiers in the battalion and you know everyone had that drive everyone had everyone was in that pursuit of excellence everyone was you know trying to be better because you didn't want to fucking let your mates down it was about being the best that you could be so that you're an asset to the team rather than a liability and that really showed once we got to afghanistan the shit did hit the fan like our boys man our entire um, patrol base just fucking lifted man like i'm so proud of every single guy that was on that patrol base because you know we all had those conversations and we all um, took our training seriously and we you know operated as best we could under those training environments because at the end of the day like as an infantry soldier you don't get to do your job until you go overseas everything is training 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 so you know you might look good on the training fields but it's how you perform when it's a fucking two-way range and there's other people trying to kill you. That's when it counts, man. That's when your training comes into play. That's when your fucking habits, your training, the patterns that you've created really step up and show you who's put the work in. Yeah. And that's really powerful because obviously, like you said, uh, it's having to make a deal beforehand, um, having that tough conversations among yourself, but also with yourself um, and actually saying, you know what, I'm binding to this. This is what I'm doing. Um, it's not something that's in the future, but it's happening now. Okay, yeah. so making a conscious decision and being intentional about the process. Um, and yeah, then man, tell I, me, I, I, just want, I just want to pause there, man, because you said you said something really powerful. Then, like, it's the process, right? So many people go, well, when I get here, then things are going to be good. But fuck, man, I'll tell you what: the process is where you learn what works and what doesn't work. Because I'll tell you right now, like, if if I didn't focus on the process and I didn't focus on the training and make sure that what I was doing was squared away and what my boys were doing was squared away. Like when the fucking shit did hit the fan, there was rounds coming both ways. There's dudes trying to kill us. The only things that I had to fall back on was those fucking tools that I built in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can relate because obviously, like you said, it's once again, conditioning the tools that you were preparing for this moment beforehand. And now when the challenge arises, you're able then to fall back on your skills, your training, okay? And um, that's, that's obviously the most powerful part of conditioning and being intentional about it. And that's also why I try to always observe people in training, um, whether it's physical training and things, and like try to see, okay, so why did it do this? For example, um, whether it's training Muay Thai, for, to training Muay Thai, I always try to see why do they tell you to do push-ups after doing a round of pads? Okay, what is the purpose of that? And then I started realizing that, you know what, they're they preparing you to exert an additional output. Okay, they're preparing you to still be at your best, to still perform, even when you're at your worst. Okay, even when, you know, you've really given the entire round, now it's time for you to actually go again. Um, so that's really powerful, the power of conditioning. And then what I also want to know is how do you manage to detach yourself emotionally because we are emotional beings whether we like it or not okay uh so how do you detach yourself emotionally when for example um 
one of your team members have been injured or been murdered or been killed. Um, how do you then say, okay, you know what, now I'm going back on the field with a clear mind, clear head, because obviously that plays a role in your performance as a sniper. Yeah. Um, very interesting question. It's not something that I was trained to do. It's something that I had to figure out on my own. Uh, because as I said, you know, two weeks into my trip, my, my sniper team leader was shot, man. I, you know, patched him up, put him on a helicopter, you know, fighting for my life, sat on top of an ID that luckily didn't go off and take out the rest of my team. Um, next day burst machine gun fire, just like rattled up the ground between my mate and I, (laughs) you know, I was like, fuck, this is going to be a long deployment. Um, but anyway, it was, we had to compartmentalize because we're going out on patrol the next day. And, you know, if I wasn't able to manage my mind, which, you know, there was a couple of weeks there where I couldn't sleep and I was waking up tired and I was the lead scout of my sniper team, the eyes and ears of the team. And it was my role to, you know, choose a route that was going to mitigate the the threat of walking into an ambush or um, stepping on an IED or something like that. And my worst nightmare was missing something and the bloke behind me taking the brunt of the explosion or copping around to the chest. And, you know, that was always, that was always at the, the back of my mind along with, you know, maybe this is my last patrol. Maybe this is, maybe I'm never going to walk on two legs again. Like those thoughts were always in my fucking mind, man. But I realized that I had to manage that. And instead of focusing on those things and being reactive and emotional to that, I had to become proactive and that meant, and again, I didn't, I wasn't taught these skills, but I was like, man, I need to get to sleep because I'm waking up tired. I'm waking up fatigued. That's affecting my ability to perform the next day, to do my job, to be an asset to the team. So I literally just started counting my breaths, going to sleep every night. And I started using what I now know as mindfulness, but I didn't know what it was back then. I was just like, I just need to count my breaths. And like, like I just need to take my mind off the things that I can't control and the focus, focus on the things that I can control. And the only thing I can, tro- I can control right now is my, my breath. I mean, count my breaths. And that allowed me to get to sleep and that allowed me to wake up fresh. And, you know, the cool thing, man, was like, I didn't know what I was doing, but the byproduct of that was, again, focusing on things that I could control. So instead of going, what if this, what if that, I was like, these are the threats that I'm likely to face tomorrow. You know, you got to, you got to imagine we're going into the command post. Our boss is going, we're going in this area, this location tomorrow to do X, Y, Z. And us boys are looking at each other going, holy fuck. All right. We know that every time we go past that house there, we're in the shit. There's always something happening. We're either killing dudes. We're capturing dudes. We're fucking taking casualties. We're, um, you know, finding equipment, caches, blah, blah, blah. We're getting in firefights. So, um, you know, there was times where we knew that we we're going to those areas and, and just simply knowing that I was going to that area and going, right, I need to focus on my breath. That then allowed me to go, all right, we know what happens when we go here. These are our standard operating procedures. So I'm thinking about the risks that are likely to come up and I'm mitigating them in my mind before I step out on patrol the next day. So that gives me my standard operating procedures. That way, when I wake up the next day, I've already got this process. I've already like mitigated the risks in my mind. I've played it out in my mind. I'm not allowing myself to attach emotions to it. I'm being proactive in what I'm going to do. And then once I've got those SOPs, it gives me peace of mind so that if shit did, does go down, then you know i've got the i've already run through that in my mind and the other boys have run through that in their mind and we've already spoken about them in our orders and um our actions on if this happens we do that if that happens we do this 
Um, and that gave us peace of mind to be able to, you know, be on the front foot, man, and essentially um, mitigate those risks as we go. And again, be proactive, choose the routes that we we're going to take and try and outflank the enemy and, and try and catch them out, trying to lay ambushes on us. And we would lay ambushes on them and things like that. So, you know, that, that byproduct of mindfulness, simply counting my breaths to allow me to get to sleep also allowed me to focus on things that I could control and, you know, end up, ended up changing my mindset to be able to, instead of being reactive and waiting for the enemy to fight us, like being proactive and fucking taking the fight to them. That's really powerful, really powerful tool. Like obviously mindfulness and it sounds like it was really helpful for you on the battlefield. Okay. And then earlier I mentioned obviously your relationship with death. Okay. Um, and then you mentioned um, the fact that you, you have revised your will three times up, up until the age of 25. Okay. Now tell me a bit about how, do you accept the fact that this is this could be my last deployment? This could be my last day. Every time you go out, you accept it, accept it, or do you say, you know what, I'm willing to ensure to fight? So I was trying to get into you know the thought patterns behind it. Um, do you go in saying I accept this, and you know what, this I'm going to be as fearless as possible in this moment, or is it how do I mitigate the risk? How do I be analytical about this um, to ensure that you know what we can all make it safe? which yeah again very loaded question um so let me just give me a little second to think about where i'll start with this one um i was never it was never going through in my mind to i need to go out i need to be fearless because fearlessness can lead to recklessness so in my mind it's it's okay to be afraid but it's about, again, mitigating those risks and managing them as best you can, understanding what the risks are and coming up with a plan of action that's going to um, give you a fallback, give you some standard operating procedures, some habits and patterns that, again, you know, go back to your training. All right, if this situation occurs, then this is my drills that I've gone through in my training over and over and over again, right? So I'm going to utilize, I'm going to fall back on them. So you know, uh, that if I had said that I was not afraid of dying, then I'd be lying, but mm -hmm. I'd accepted it. Right. I knew that that was, that was a risk that I could lose my life or my limbs or one of my teammates or a number of my teammates. Like I'd accepted that man, but that also once I'd accepted that, then I was able to manage that. Okay. And when I could manage that, again, you know, looking at those risks, mitigating them and choosing how we were going to fight the fight. And of course, we need to be reactive at times, but um, for the most part, we were proactive and we were maneuvering and we were limiting um, the Taliban's freedom of movement so that we could put ourselves in a in an advantageous position more often than not. So did that answer your question or did I, I go did. off on a rant? There? No, I definitely did. Um, basically in essence, what I got from that is that you have to be more analytical in your approach. Obviously you, um, fear is a natural response to threat. So it's not trying to be fearless, but accepting the fact of the, that possibly could happen and then saying, okay, how do I mitigate this around that? So that's really powerful. So one of the reasons why I like wanted to do 
understand your thought patterns behind it is because there are principles obviously that you can take from the military. These principles you can take that help you to succeed in the military or in any area of your life, two different areas of your life, okay? And if we look at it in terms of whether this business or life as a battle or a challenge, okay? Um, basically accepting that you could fail whether you start in a business, okay? But how do I mitigate the risk around that, okay? How do I ensure that I've got the adequate level of skills to actually succeed, okay? But also being willing to fail, Although the stakes are not as high as a life and death situation, it sometimes can feel like that to many people. Okay, so it's just about trying to identify um, how the principles apply to different areas of your life, and that's why it's really been interesting um, speaking to you about it because um, I always try to look at or observe and try to understand the principles at play that helps that helps people, um, whether they are intentional about it or not, um, succeed in different areas of their life, so that people can then apply the same principles. So that has yeah. been really useful for me. Yeah, strong, strong point, man. Um, uh, for me, like as a strength and conditioning coach, mm -hmm. you know, principles are principles, methods are many. You know, mm -hmm. many people are going to use different methods to try and achieve the results. But at the end of the day, like if you can follow principles, you know, the, the, the principles of strength and conditioning is like, you know, progressive overload, dose response relationship, you know, um, doing enough in the gym to elicit the response you want. But not so much that you're then taking away from your athlete's ability to recover, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those same principles like apply to life. Exactly. 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 And then um, do you want to tell us where, where we can find you online? Yeah. Uh, so I've actually got my own podcast called live, train, perform. Um, it's a, it's a mental health podcast. We, we, I discuss, very similar conversations to what we've had today um, with, you know, numerous guests. Uh, I also have um, mini series on um, the power of habit, creating consistency, uh, accountability, hierarchy of value, motivation, direction, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I'm also an ambassador for Swiss eight, which is a proactive mental health program designed by Australian veterans originally for veterans after, you know, a number of our mates, took their own lives, unfortunately, um, which is a, it's a problem in Australia. It has been for probably the last decade or two. Um, so yeah, Swiss eight, the, the, the principles of Swiss eight are sleep, nutrition, um, discipline, time management, fitness, personal growth, mindfulness, and minimalism. Um, and they're kind of the, the principles that I, I build my life upon those, those pillars of health and wellness. And I've also run a, a, a 10 part mini series on those principles on the podcast. Uh, you can find me, on Instagram at coach underscore Cobes, K-O-B-E-S. Uh, Facebook is Performance Functional Training, which is the name of my business. Uh, and I've got a heap of YouTube content up um, at Performance Functional Training as well. Okay, awesome. I'll definitely add the links in the description. And then as a concluding question, you mentioned obviously the fact that uh, many people offer deployment, they do take their own life. Um, so tell me a bit about how do you, so PSD, okay, which is real, it's real for many people, not only people who've been to war, um, but how do you, how did you personally manage after getting back from, you know, being in, in a war environment, in a battle? How do you, how did you manage your mental health? What was the key to that? Yeah. Um, it was again, not something that just happened. It's something that I've been working on for 
the last 10 years since I got out of the army. You know, um, a lot of people, you made a good point there as well. Like a lot of, a lot of people, it's not just soldiers, military veterans that, you know, suffer from um, PTSD and anxiety, depression, you know, like look at the last year, man, people have been isolated. People have been stuck at home. People are not having access to, you know, they lose their jobs. They lose their livelihood. They might lose some family members. Um, you know, they're not associating with their friends and things like that. And, you know, that's to some people, man, like that's their personality. That's who they are. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have struggled over the last year. So, um, you know, mental health implications have increased dramatically, particularly over the last year. Now, in saying that, again, this is something that I've been working on for many, many years. And once I got back from Afghanistan, uh, I played in that rugby tournament and I discharged from the army in 2012. I was told that, you know, we were no longer deploying. We were pulling out of Afghanistan. And I was like, well, as I said, you know, as an infantry soldier, you train, 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 train. Like you do your job when you're overseas. And I was like, well, I'm not going to fucking continue training if I'm not going to go overseas and do my job. So I got out of the army, did my PT course, um, strength and conditioning, started my own business. But there was a period of probably about 18 months where I was just kind of floating, man. I was like, I'm just going to take a little bit of time off. I'm just going to relax and, um, you know, travel the world and um, think about where I want to go next, what I want to do. And probably about six months after I got out of the army, you know, all of those things that I was doing that was making me such a fucking good soldier, like getting out of bed at the same time every day, shaving, making my bed, um, going to the gym and training first thing in the morning, like all of those things that had made me such a good, good soldier, I'd stopped doing them because I was kind of like, I'm going to grow my hair long. I'm not going to get out of bed. And I, I essentially stopped doing those things that made me function at my best. And about six months after that, I was like, man, I'm, I'm kind of like my mental health's declining a little bit. Like, I don't know what's going on. Then I, I was like, when was I at my best? When I was at my best, this is what I was doing. And I look back at that time and, you know, I didn't just start doing all of those things. I was like, right, I'm going to, this is the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to get up at this time, which then had a flow on effect. That means I need to get to bed at this time. That means I need to focus on, you know, my evening routine and blah, blah, blah. And then once I did that, then I moved on to the next thing. Then I moved on to the next thing. And once I just reestablished those standard operating procedures that had made me such a good soldier and I just tweaked and adjusted them for my current life then you know I started being at my best again um, and then I started focusing on you know personal growth and building out my um, business and focusing on where I want to go next and started implementing small changes day after day week after week month after month that was going to move me in the right direction and you know I think this is uh I think it's an important thing for a lot of people is to, you know, if you're sitting still, man, like sharks die when they fucking don't move. Right. So mm -hmm. we need to continue moving. Um, and sometimes we're going to be moving in the right direction. As long as we're moving in the right direction, the majority of the time, it's okay to take some steps backwards. Um, but yeah, to, to go back to your original question of like, how do you manage your mind? It was like, I just, I gave myself something to do. I gave myself structure. I gave myself purpose. I gave myself um, things that I was driving towards things that I was working on um, that was going to allow me to, you know, become the person that I wanted to be and, and um, build the life that I essentially wanted to live. Um, really awesome answer there. And I like the fact that you say that obviously it's re rediscovering your purpose or recreating your purpose um, and recreating your identity then in the same sense, because now you need to align with, okay, civilian life and what is my purpose? What is my ultimate, my ultimate objective right now? And then um, I really, really like that. But 
one last question based on that is, so obviously moving forward, okay, moving forward is really important, okay, for us to always move towards our purpose um, to get better, um, to consistently improve and move towards what we want. But then how do you detach from the past? That's, that experience is something that's with you, okay, as an individual. Um, what I want to ultimately know is how do you deal with that experience as being part of you? How do you deal with letting go of that um yeah a, a, again i think it comes back down to the mindfulness like and, and it's about framing it's how you talk to yourself man like at the end of the day like everyone goes to sleep at night everyone turns their light off and crawls into bed and the only thing you're left with are your thoughts like it doesn't matter what fucking how big your house is that you've gone to sleep in how what car you're going to get up and drive to whatever job you do tomorrow like everyone's left with the same fucking thing your own thoughts when you crawl into bed, right? So allowing yourself to be friends with yourself and accept who you are and understanding that, you know, the stories that you tell yourself is going to play a massive impact on how you perceive the world, right? Like we, our output to the world is first comes from our input from all of our senses we take in all of this information via our senses and then our brain basically unscrambles it puts together its best guess and then to you know tell us what's happening in the outside world the outside environment and then we create an output so you know i think it's important to look at how you're talking to yourself and look at how you can reframe things did this thing happen to you or did this thing happen for you? You know, I can look back at my life, man, and, and you know, I can be upset and frustrated about certain things that happened in my life. And, and as you said earlier, man, like you, you know, you came from a, a poor background and, you know, some, uh, I guess, a disadvantage, disadvantageous position um, compared to other people. But, you know, I, I, I said this... Uh, I went through the same thing, man. And I could look at that and be like, well, yeah, I, I fucking started way behind everyone else and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, like I look back at that time and I'm, I appreciate it because it makes me who, who I am, like facing those adversities and building that resilience at a young age has shaped the man that I am. And those things are constantly shaping me. So, you know, it's about framing or reframing how you speak to yourself. And I'm a NLP master practitioner, neuro-linguistic programming. And this is essentially, it's kind of like a offshoot of cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Like how we talk to ourselves is extremely important. And if we're um, telling ourselves we're a piece of shit and we're, we're always, um, you know, finding the negatives and things that we do and the things that we say, then we're going to live in line with that because your thoughts affect your, your emotions, which affect your hormone regulation, which affects your phys entire physiology, man. So you know, looking at um, things that have happened for you and putting a positive spin on it, no matter what, like you can, if you can always find the positive in something, you can always be grateful for everything that's happening. I mean, there's going to be days where fuck yeah, you know, you, you're going to be hating on things, right? But you can't allow that emotional response to drive everything you do maybe sit on it for a day or two. Okay. But then get back to rational thinking, get back to, um, you know, implementing things that you know are going to move you in the right direction and 
having these positive conversations with yourself, taking the positives, being grateful for things that are happening around you um, and, and kind of always putting a positive spin on things. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's really powerful, um, a powerful way to conclude the conversation. Um, and just to add into that, that the reframe, reframing is ultimately just reassigning the meaning to the events and events shape, the events shape us, our experience shape us. And like you say, uh, our thoughts, we need to be more conscious about our thoughts because ultimately they produce our environments through result of our behaviors, our actions. Um, so thank you for that, Sean. I really do did appreciate the conversation and your insight, all the insight you shared about your journey. Awesome. Thank you, Cole. I really appreciate you having me on, mate. Thank you. Have a beautiful day further. Cheers, bro. Thank you for tuning in. Please share this episode with anyone looking to maximize their life, as this will help us to continue growing the Coached Success community. In addition, connect with me on Instagram or Facebook and tell me what you enjoyed most about today's show. Links to Facebook and Instagram are in the episode description. I look forward to hearing from you. Until next week, stay winning.